Hello and welcome to the Upon Further Review podcast brought to you by Field Street Baptist Church. On this podcast, your host Cody Kitchen sits across the table from Dr. John Hall as he reviews his Sunday sermon from the week before. We took a break, but we're back. Don't you be afraid. This is Upon Further Review with your favorite two people. I'm Cody Kitchen, your host, and joined with me is John Hall. Good afternoon, everyone. The one, the only. Yes. John Hall. Don't forget it. Well, we are going to be talking about his sermon from Sunday, which was, the title was God as My Witness. Mm. And it was from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 15 through 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4. Um, and we are in a series of Second Corinthians, um, going through it pretty pretty quick at this point. We're already at. A, I know it doesn't feel like it to you, but no. man, we're already on chapter two. Oh, it's pure torture. <laughs> but um, it's been been good. But as always, to kind of start it off, is what are some things that came to mind as you got ready and prepared for this sermon? Well, this text was another excruciating passage to decipher plus it was lengthy and it had a lot going on in it so the challenge for me personally was how do I get 25 minutes out of this text um, how do I keep it to 25 minutes hmm. so I hope our listening audience appreciates the efforts I go to to keep the messages reasonable well it should I don't know if they do or not. Probably do. But it's a very challenging book and far more challenging than I ever would have anticipated. Second Corinthians has proved to be really, man, it's it's been tough sledding from my point sure. of view. Uh, the Lord's been faithful to help me for sure, but uh, I'd be lying if I said this was easy. Yeah. In fact, last week I worked on a sermon where I'm actually – I entitled the sermon a torturous text. <laughs> it's that it was that hard for me to Man. arrive at a message from, but you know, it is the scripture and it is God's word, and we should you know, it should be a a labor of love yeah. to exposit it. But, Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I think I know I know I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard. Hopefully, some compliments too of. I know people have been benefiting from from that, and so your labor is not in vain. (laughs) I know it's not. God has been using you. Yeah, it's just a challenging book, and I wouldn't have guessed that on the front end of this. Um, Sure. Yeah. I'll say more about that in the coming weeks. Look forward to it. Yes. You uh, started in the intro talking about, obviously, as you have every Sunday so far of the theme of Second Corinthians being Paul writing it uh, to defend his ministry, and that Paul was scrutinized intensely for those who opposed him. And you kind of gave us, through this text of Scripture, you gave us um, four ideas in which came up. And the first one was noting Paul's intent in verse 17, and how you talked about how uh, we, we see from verse 15 that Paul originally proposed a trip from Ephesus, that he would visit them in Corinth, and that how Paul's mind was changed, and um, his opponents then criticized Paul because of this change, calling him unre- unreliable. 
and that you even tell us that his critics even went a step further um, because of that alteration that no one could listen to him or what he had to say. He was not reliable anymore. And so Paul had a, a challenge to defend that. And as you even tell us that he explains why, and we'll get there in this podcast to why he had to change his plans. Um, and then you note, secondly, of noting Paul's message in verse 18 and 19, and that how Paul declares that his m- mission and message was as clear and faithful as is God. Um, and he made such a valid point and drew it out of the text so well of God is faithful and that Paul preached Christ and that was his whole mission. Anything um, he did was to preach Christ and give uh, God the glory. Um, and you even talked about everywhere we look in Scripture, if we look at Paul's preaching, it bled Christ. It was about Christ. And he went into First Corinthians and talked about how um, we're to preach the gospel. And that is the point. That is why we preach Jesus. And um, you even talked about, even we went into where we talked about in verse 21, where he also seals by his spirits in our hearts um, and it was just so much of Jesus and why we preach the gospel. And so my question is, why is it so important that our message communicates a strong conviction of the reliability and tr- truthfulness of Christ? Well, the entire scripture points us to Jesus Christ, his person, his work. And without Christ as our only qualified mediator, we would have no one that could represent us before God. So uh, we can't bargain with God. We can't say, look at my personal righteousness. He won't accept that. Mm -hmm. The only person and work that makes us acceptable to God is, of course, Jesus Christ. And so our message has to be filled with Christ. I think we want it said of us that anywhere you cut us, we too, like Paul, bleed the message of Christ because we are only made right with God by faith in his son, Jesus Christ. So the whole gospel centers around Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. So it has to. I I just think churches, denominations, Mm. Christian schools that move away from the centrality of Christ are making a colossal mistake and crippling the life-changing message that is embedded within the gospel if they cut out the most central person and what he did on the cross and by his resurrection, of course, uh, to make it certain that those who repent and believe in him would be justified before God, reconciled to him. Mm -hmm. You cannot cut out Christ. And Christ is the ultimate litmus test for any world religion, system, thought, whatever. If If you... have a lower view of Christ than what the Scripture pre- presents of Christ, not really the gospel. Mm. And so the gospel that we preach, the gospel we teach and seek to live, it, it all centers around and is built upon the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I think this is why Paul was absolutely revved up in this text because they were saying that yeah, hey, you're unreliable. You changed your plans. Therefore, the message you preach also has to be unreliable. And he lost his mind <laughs> because he's like, wait a minute. My message is yeah. quite reliable. And 
I call God as my witness that what I'm saying about the gospel, the gospel I've preached, the words I've shared with you, the, the ministry that God has given me to give to you is built on Christ and Christ crucified. We've done nothing but Christ, Christ, Christ. It's all Christ. Yeah. And I think that's a very important, maybe the most important aspect of what makes Field Street Baptist Church a, a biblical church. We preach Christ. Yeah. We lift up Christ as the only one who can bridge the, the gap that we've created by our own sinfulness that creates alienation from God. So Jesus is everything, and we're right to sing about him. We're right to pray to him. We're right to serve him. We're right to worship him, our loyalty to him. Everything must be about Christ. Yeah. And so I, I applaud the Apostle Paul. He sets a marvelous example for any of us who are called to vocational ministry or any of us who are not, which is the rest of everyone, that irregardless of if you are a follower of Christ, your life is to be about Christ. Yeah. I mean, Christ is everything. Yeah, what I loved about Sunday that you really, I think, highlighted out and, and took out, or that I took, that I think you did such a w- good job with that message was, you know, it was, this is really a bad analogy, but Paul really was upset the fact of what they said about his message, which was, as you just said, Christ and salvation. And it reminds me of like, you know, I think of if someone were to badmouth my wife or my children even, mm-hmm. that and it's something that's not true, is we kind of get defensive. Mm. And I think in that same way is Christ was God, the message that Paul preached was everything to mm. him. And it should be everything to me and you. And so for me, it was that, man, Paul, Paul got it. Paul knew it. And it was his whole life. Mm. And if it was Paul's whole life, it should all be all of our lives. Cause Paul was a man after God's own heart. And he, sure. he cherished that and he loved that. And so it was just a, a good reminder and even a challenge of Man, he, he not only did he defend his message, but he knew what his message was, as you've already said. And it yeah. was salvation, and it was coming to Christ. And I don't know how anybody can sit in that sermon Sunday, and if they were not saved, how they could leave with not being saved. I mean, <laughs> and I'm and the Spirit worked through you in that, and grateful for that, but just more of that was such a message of salvation and the need for Christ. Mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody could leave without it. Yeah, I think it's—thank you. Um, I, I think— what Paul was so dumbfounded by was that the Corinthians, or some of them, not all of them, could come to such a conclusion when it was the very message of Christ that Paul preached to them that brought them salvation. Mm-hmm. And he's just out of his mind that right. that those same people, or at least a portion of them, I, don't, I wouldn't dare say it was all of them, but a portion of them were now saying, man, eh, that message maybe wasn't so reliable because, Paul, you're not, you know, you're not as reliable as maybe we thought you were. Yeah. And so I could see why he was livid in, you know, in a, a righteous way, if there is such a thing. Yeah. That's good. And that's a perfect segue into the, your third idea, which was noting Paul's witness. Yeah. And talking about verse 23 specifically, where he says, But I call God as my witness to my soul to spare you. I did not come again to Corinth. And you tell us that now Paul's returning and explaining the reason for his change of itinerary, why he did this. And he's calling upon the strongest witness being God and um, that 
Paul is staking his life on the truthfulness of the account that would follow up and that his change of plans were from pure motives and it was because of the love for the Corinthians. Um, he wanted them to change their behavior before he returned so that he would not have to discipline them. And uh, you, you even said even though Paul had that authority as the apostle, um, he didn't always use it. He didn't want to browbeat as you, the words you used on Sunday. Um, he didn't want to be a dictator. Um, but, and you even said, yes, Paul could command compliance, but compliance that is demanded does not often lead to obedience produced by thriving faith in Jesus. So my question is, what can we learn from Paul's change of plans and allowing God to do the work? I think that we all plan. We make plans. And I believe that's biblical. We plan and we look at, the Bible says, look at the example of the ant. You know, the, uh, the ant is very uh, hardworking, laborious, mm. and the birds. And there's all kinds of examples in the, in the animal and insect kingdom, if you want to call it that, where we see the, the benefit of planning. I, and I think we should plan. We plan our day. We plan our week. We plan a worship service. We plan our sermons, so on and so forth. But having said all that, sometimes our plans just get disrupted by the tyranny of the urgent. Our plans get disrupted through no fault of our own. Uh, external factors squeeze us, and we have to change our plans. Sometimes we just change our plans. And sometimes the Lord God himself changes our plans. And his plans are always better than our plans. Um, so I think what we learn is that Paul's itinerary was changed, but obviously God was working in a way for a greater good yeah. that clearly the false apostles didn't see, nor did they appreciate. Right. But I, I, think, I think Paul was completely justified. I don't think he was eager to go and... Um, confront them as he had already done. I mean, go read 1 Corinthians, and it's very confrontational, especially from what we read in chapter 5 about the immoral brother. He was outraged by the fact that the church was not grieving that sin, instead was arrogant about it, and so he's beside himself and confronts them. Why haven't you thrown him out of the church? He needs to be dispelled. There's no repentance and that kind of sin cannot be tolerated. And so I think he was probably a portion of him, maybe dreaded round two of that. So his, but for reasons I don't fully understand, and I'm not sure Bible scholars completely have a, a grip on it, what exactly caused him to have to change his plans. But the long and short of it was he didn't make that trip, and he wrote the letters, and... Some took it upon themselves to really criticize him about it. What, what I learned from that is simply that, you know, God is the one who is fully in control. I make my plans, but the Lord, he's, he's Lord over those things. And sometimes my plans go exactly as I planned it, and more often than not, my plans change. They get disrupted. But that doesn't make my message unreliable. Right. It doesn't make my message any less effective because my message is Christ, and it's based on the 
faithfulness of the Lord, the goodness of God. So when, call, when Paul calls upon God to be his witness, mm. you know, I, I read that in the text. I'm like, wow, man, Paul is throwing down. Yeah. He is swinging for the fence, and he's banking everything on my motives were pure as it relates to you. I, I love you more than you can comprehend. And I hate it as much as y'all do that my, my plans changed, but they did. Mm-hmm. And God is my witness that my motives where you're concerned are quite pure. And so I think that's in part what it teaches us. Yes, we plan, but the Lord is the one who directs our steps. Yeah. And you, know, you what's it? I can forget the exact memory verse. Um, How's it go? We we throw we cast the stones, but the Lord dictates the result. Yeah. That's a terrible paraphrase, but it's something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. And it's such a good reminder. And even as I think it sets up, this is why you obviously did it this way. But it sets up for your fourth idea in going into of noting Paul's anguish mm. and. Uh, you you used verse 4 of chapter 2, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not so that you would be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. And you are telling us that instead of a visit, Paul writes a letter um, and, you know, one into the history of, you know, there's four letters. We only have two of them, but that this painful, this painful visit um, occurred after Paul wrote 1 Corinthians is, is what, what your summation was, and it's you even tell us that it's so clear throughout the text Paul's affection for the Corinthians mm. and his love for them and how he experienced much affliction and anguish of heart in confronting the Corinthians. I mean, I couldn't imagine even where to begin of even what you said of he's already has probably struggling even more, um, but this was probably nothing more difficult than the pain for Paul to confront the sins of the Corinthians. It broke his heart, and you, you talked about that, um, and that Paul hoped that the Corinthians would repent. Mm. And so my question is, should we too have anguish of heart with those that are not purifying the church as well as for those that are lost? Of course we should have anguish of heart. That should be one of the classic markers of a child of God that you're that you're broken over the sins of others and first for your own sin but certainly for the sin that we may know of observe within the body of Christ and I don't know that any of us really relish confrontational um, moments where we're calling out someone for known sin in their lives that they refuse to repent of. I don't, I for one do not relish that. And I think maybe that's some of what's going on with Paul, that he would prefer to rejoice over their repentance than to confront them over the fact they don't want to repent. And he's the anguish in his heart because he loved that church spent a great deal of time with them, was invested, and had seen the gospel be fruitful in that fellowship. But there's always that potential in any church for a handful of people to embrace their sin instead of confess it 
and turn from it in repentance. And, of course, that breaks all of our hearts. It affects all of us. Uh, Maybe not directly, but certainly indirectly. So, yes, I think all of us would want to first grieve over our own sin and then grieve over the the sins of others. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could go on about that, but we probably all have personal instances where we've dealt with someone who's a friend or or a family member or someone with whom we work that we feel a closeness to and then you know maybe they're doing something that is ongoing and they won't repent of it it it, it it's hard yeah it's um it does create anguish of heart and that should that's a good thing in the yeah. We, we should be broken, and, and then we should be loving. And I, I love that as much as anything that Paul advocated for, and we'll see that in Sunday's text, that he advocated for restoration. Forgive this brother yeah. and receive him back into the fold. Mm-hmm. And I think anyone who repents should be welcomed back into the fold and restored that's a very biblical uh, teaching. Uh, with repentance comes restoration. Mm. Not they repent and we send them on their way anyway. Uh, when someone repents of their sin, that's a good thing. And all of us who, you know, anyone who is married knows how important it is to forgive and welcome the restoration the restoration of the sweetness of the fellowship between a husband and wife. Yeah. And uh, we, I don't care how long you've been married or how great your marriage is, there's going to be a disturbance in the force at some point. And it's very Jesus-like to extend and receive forgiveness and then restore what was broken. That's good. Yeah, it's really good. And it even shows, I think, a healthy church, too, mm-hmm. when that's done right mm-hmm. and well and that people do care and it does hurt people. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this in general um, for a lot of reasons, but, you know, it's another thing, too, when a church, it's a healthy sign of a healthy church when a, sin, oh, when, when a church recognizes that and recognizes the sin and the hurt that sin causes. Um, and ultimately... I think Paul knew that, and that's what Paul was getting at, mm. is is that it caused him anguish. And I think it's mm. such a good example in what you said for us as a church to to continue to obviously make sure that we are right. Mm. And then as we do that naturally, mm. we too can pray and take care of those that are around us. And Yeah, we don't, we don't ever want to call out, you know, you got, brother, you have something in your eye when you're missing what is right. in your own eye. So, you know, confronting the sin of others is a very delicate task. Yes. And one I don't think anybody relishes. No. We don't naturally run to that, nor should we, but I think, generally speaking, the body of Christ should have in its heart uh, a brokenness over sin and sinners where there is an unrepentant spirit. That's really hard. And I can see why Paul was agonizing on the inside. Yeah, for sure. Well, as we kind of close up this this session, what are some final thoughts? 
Well, I'm encouraged uh, in the sense of, man, is there anything greater than being saved? And I tried to lay that down Sunday morning that the greatest treasure we have in this life is the Lord Jesus Christ. If He is your Savior, man, you have you have everything. And if you don't have Jesus, you might have everything materially, but you have nothing. And nothing greater than having Jesus Christ as Savior. And there's nothing greater for the church when Jesus is Lord of that church. And so Sunday we're going to dive into, you know, we keep following up where Paul is going with his letter to the Corinthians, and as we call Second Corinthians, and he moves into, you know, really the why do we forgive? Why do we seek restoration? So it'll be it'll be an interesting uh, text this coming Sunday as well. Look forward to it. Yeah, thanks. Well, everyone's favorite part is here. We know it's everyone's favorite. It's okay. Yeah, it doesn't, people, people it doesn't, tell us. Uh, I mean, you know, wow. It doesn't hurt our feelings <laughs> by any means, but it is our That Stupid segment where, John, you tell us what's stupid. So what's stupid? Well, there's so many things that are stupid. However, uh, because we weren't able to to put a podcast together last week, I was in Dallas. We we feel strongly that we should make a comment about the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, so full disclosure, I've been a San Francisco 49ers fan for a long time since they fired Tom Landry. I, that was it for me. And I'd already liked the Niners, like Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Steve Young. I always loved those guys. So I recognize there's the potential to think that what I'm about to say is just sour grapes because my team lost the Super Bowl. It's not. I didn't appreciate the halftime show, and I think they ought to get rid of it. I think the halftime show is full-on stupid. It's yeah. a colossal waste of my time. It isn't very entertaining. And they don't keep their clothes on. In fact, <laughs> why, I had just finished saying in my living room, we had some friends over, and I said, wow, look at Usher. He's actually keeping his clothes on. And not 30 <laughs> to 90 seconds later, he's peeling clothes off, like a peeling off, off a banana peel. Anyway, just it's maddening. And then the stunt that I saw Travis Kelsey yeah. pull when he slammed into his head coach, Andy Reid, I just think – for all the attention that that particular player gets for him to act this way, it, it's not good. I, I don't like it. Yeah. It's stupid. It's he, stupid. He comes across as a thug. And he may or may not be. I don't know. I've never met the guy. I, I just think that was stupid. I think the halftime show is stupid. It's all driven by money. I think they don't know. I just sometimes go, does NFL know their audience? Yeah. Uh, I So there are several things as it related to the Super Bowl that drive me crazy. But that deal with, with Travis Kelsey running into his coach like that. And then, you know, what got me was they only showed it once. Right. Because it doesn't reflect well on who has to be one of the darlings of the NFL because yeah. you know who he's dating. Yep. So I think, you know, I'm I'm – I'm amateur hour and whatever dots I'm connecting, but uh, I just think the fact that you had the Super Bowl in Las Vegas and it was the highest rated, highest watched, the the numbers were so astronomical and the millions of people that watched it, I read somewhere that it was the highest, most watched Super Bowl in history. But it was. And I would have to guess it was the most bet upon Super Bowl in history because it's in Vegas. 
and then you have you know who was there and then you have that stunt um and i just think if any other player would have done that yep in the nfl to his coach we would have seen that replayed quite a number of times oh yeah so yeah that's my thing <laughs> is it stupid but if it was anyone else it'd be yes. a whole different story it's colossally stupid yep. i just please i'm begging you do away with the halftime show yeah that'd be good just too. have a normal halftime the players i bet the players would be all for it they just yeah. want to keep playing the game and at that point in the game it'd have been nice if they just could have kept playing without all that fanfare i mean just i don't know all, yeah all the um Anyway, I think I think a lot of that stuff is just plain old fashioned stupid. It is stupid. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. We I could talk about that specifically all day, but we don't have time. For I know. It. So uh, I know. And we'll and, and, and hats off to all the KC fans. It was a it was a wonderful game. If you just like good NFL football, that was a great Super Bowl game. And yeah. I wish the outcome would have been different, obviously, because I'm sure. a 49ers fan. But you know, my hats off to the KC fans. You know they. But there's a lot going on in that that broadcast that was stupid. Oh yeah, it was. There's a lot of stupid. <laughs> but I will say, in my short life of watching the NFL football and Super Bowls, it was one of the best I watched. Yeah, um, no doubt. So it was definitely a good good game. Mm-hmm. Down to good. the wire. Yeah, for sure. Was, there was a lot of stupid stuff going on. My heart rate was up, and I'm not a fan of really of either team. So I couldn't imagine. Uh, yeah, it was painful yeah. when I knew uh, I knew at the overtime when the. I know. When the Niners went down and just got a field goal, I, I just had this pit in my stomach, like, you're not going to stop that guy. Yeah. And the defense was, you know, I'm sure gassed playing an extra period. And anyway, no excuses. They got beat. But, yeah, you know, then, aggra- then all the other aggravation that goes along with it, half the commercials were stupid. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah, we can, I can go on that too. Yeah. You know, anyway. Well, we got a lot more for that stupid thing for you <laughs> coming up. Well, we're, as always, we're so thankful that y'all take time to listen to us every week. Um, and as always, remember, make Christ known by what you say and how you live. Have a great week. Yep. Thank you all for listening. And be sure to subscribe to Upon Further Review so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions, please be sure to reach out to us at info at fieldstreet.com. Thanks for tuning in.